Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Three Things We Must Know by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, this morning we just recognise your greatness, we acknowledge your power, and we acknowledge your presence in this place. And Lord, I acknowledge that your word's living and active, so Lord, you can do miracles without me, and I'm thankful for that. But I pray that I would just be used as a vessel this morning, Lord God, that words would be sown in our hearts. Lord, that there would be harvest for you in our lives from your word. Father, we pray for this nation. We, we watch the news reports, Lord, and we see what's happening, but we know that you're in control. Lord, we pray for Melbourne and our brothers and sisters that have had to go on back into lockdown. We just pray, Lord God, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, we recognise your mighty hand and we just pray, Lord God, that you would turn events in your wonderful name. Amen. Uh, If you'd like to meet me in Romans chapter 6, we're going to begin to pick up our series in Romans again. I just, uh, before we get there, I just want to highlight, first we're going to do a little bit of revision for a moment, but also uh, why it is, not that I need to justify this morning, but why it is that I preach the way I do. Um, And the reason is this, when I was in the forestry, uh, we used to, my Kiwi friends here might know this name, we used to do work for a company called Rainier, and it was all pine trees. Now, they would plant trees uh, across the valley from each other. One side, because of the conditions, they would take no time in preparation, they would just throw the trees in, uh, and on the other side, they would take a lot of time in preparation, and the whole idea was that those trees would be good for pruning and they would be there for some time. Now, a 50 kilometre an hour wind would see what we call a wind throw event, and some coops, all the trees would just fall over. Whereas the trees on the other side of the valley, virtually unmoved. And uh, I think it was J.I. Packer that that looked back at the lives of the Puritans. And he said, you know, these guys suffered immense persecution. Uh, I mean, John Wesley, John Wesley's diary records six preaching events where they ran him out of town six times in a row and said, never come back. I mean, these guys, but these guys had a faith that was deep and a faith that was strong because they didn't take portions of the word of God. They took the complete revelation. And, you know, when you come to the book of Romans, everybody wants to get into Romans 8. Everybody loves Romans 12. Just give us the application. But Paul understood and the Puritans understood that duty follows doctrine. The Christian living quite often follows Christian learning. So when we come to scripture, we need to ask all of the five questions. We we need to ask what, we need to ask why, we need to ask when, we need to ask how. I forgot the fifth one, so don't worry about it. But we need to ask, what what are they saying? Who are they saying it to? Why do I need to know this? And how does it apply to me? They're really important things. And we need to ask that from the whole letter of Romans. So... We're going to continue walking through Romans. Now, this week, uh, I want to talk about three things that we must know. Paul's going to highlight now three things that we must know. Next week, we're going to move into the application of what Paul wanted us to know. Really interesting chapter. Uh, Romans chapter 6 is enormously interesting because uh, depending on what circles you're in, depending on the interpretation of this letter. But we know that uh, Romans, the first five chapters... Uh, The first three chapters of Romans expose the fact that every person is outside of Christ. We are born into sin. First three chapters to the Jewish religious protagonists. You are outside of Jesus. 
You keep all the rules you like. You attend temple all you like. You, alongside of those apparently filthy Gentiles, you're all in sin. All of us, says Paul, fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of his glorious standard. And the first three chapters of Romans highlight that. The next two chapters, chapters four and five, deal with how do we go from being outside Christ to being inside Christ. Paul uses a word we're going to touch on in a moment. He says it's by grace through faith. It's not by observing rules. It's not by religious practices. It's got nothing to do with who your mum and dad is. My my children went, thank goodness for that. (laughs) I'll get you later. But it's got everything to do with Jesus, as we're going to find out as we move our way through. Now, Romans 6, 7 and 8. So, so now Paul's told us how we go from being outside to inside. Romans 6, 7 and 8 tell us the position that we hold. Really, really important. That's where we're going to start today, the position that we hold. Romans 12, uh, 19 and 11 is like brackets dealing with Israel. We'll, we'll get to that. But Romans chapter 12, after Paul tells us the position that we hold now, he says this is the life that you should live. So there's application from Romans chapter 12 onwards. But from chapter 1 to chapter 16, Romans is all about the gospel. That's why I love Romans. It's all about the gospel. And so we're going to continue today. I, I don't know, this is actually true, so although this sounds rather comical, this is actually a true historical event. In the 1400s, there was two brothers that were heirs to a dukedom. Now, a dukedom is just a land or a province, but the dukedom that we're talking about today is Belgium. Now, these two brothers, the oldest one was named Reynold, not Reynold, Reynold. And the youngest one's name was Edward. And Reynold, being the older brother, assumed the position of king over the land. But his brother gets a band of merriments, true story, his brother gets a band of merriments, leads a revolt against Reynold and overthrows him and takes power of the kingdom. Then he doesn't kill his brother. What he does is reasonably bizarre. In the castle, he builds a particular room around his brother. You see, the nickname for his brother was Crasis or Fat Boy. That's what it means. That, that's what it means. And all jokes aside, Reynold was enormously, morbidly obese. And they, he built a particular room around his brother and said, listen, any day you walk out of this room, the kingdom is yours. I'll give it back to you. He built a door that was a normal-sized door and the window had no bars on it. But you see, Reynold was so obese, he couldn't get out the door. He was free, but he was imprisoned by his own self. Ten years later, Edward is killed in battle and someone knocks the wall down and gets him out, by the way. And by the way, Edward wasn't so stupid. He, to paraphrase in uh, our vernacular, he kept feeding the Big Macs under the door. He wasn't silly. He knew his brother had an appetite. But all jokes aside, many Christians today are like Reynold. Christ has come and set us free. There's no locks on the doors and there's no bars on the windows, but we keep ourselves imprisoned. 
Because there's three things we don't know. Three things that the penny hasn't dropped. Three things that we need to know. If you've got your Bibles and you're in Romans chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 1. What shall we say then? Before we go any further, remember when you were young and your mum said, don't talk to yourself. And then everybody said, it's really crazy if you answer yourself. Well, they would have locked Paul up because he's going to ask some questions, but he's going to answer himself. He does this a lot rhetorically. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And it's believed by many scholars that he's actually already answering what the Jews are going to say when the letter arrives in Rome. The Jews are going to say, this is awesome. I love the gospel of Jesus because you're telling me that where sin increased, Paul, that's what he tells us, Romans chapter 5, you're telling me that where sin increased, God's grace increased more. So that means that if I want God's grace, I've got to sin more. You'll feel churches preaching that today. I can prove it to you. You see, what the, the mistake they were making was, they'd made the mistake that grace equals license. Grace, Paul's trying to combat this because he says, if that's what you're thinking, then you don't really understand the word grace. You see, what Paul wants the Romans and every one of us to know is this. Grace transforms I have to to I want to. You see, under the law, all the rules and all the regulations were all about I have to. I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to attend temple. But what grace does, and when Paul says, when you understand grace, you will no longer say I have to, you will say I want to. In fact, it goes as far as to say uh, the conversation in our mind changes from, I wonder how I can get away with that sin. And the conversation changes to, how could I possibly, how, how could I offend him when you understand grace? The lesson of grace is this, treat everybody unfairly. I want everybody in this room to know God treats you unfairly. Because if he treated you how you deserved, none of us would be here. He'd wipe us off the planet. Paul says, you guys are using grace as a license and you don't understand grace. What does it sound like? It sounds like this, and I've heard this. The couple of examples I'll give you, I've heard this. I've heard, well, you know what? I, I don't know whether what I'm doing is wrong or not, but who cares? God will forgive me anyway. If you're ever having that conversation with yourself, be very, 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 very careful. That's dangerous territory. It's dangerous territory to walk in and spit on God's grace and favour and say, you know what, I'll just do what I want to do for a period of time uh, and then when I'm ready, you know, God will forgive me anyway. It doesn't matter. You'd be very careful. I'm not God, but I wouldn't push those boundaries. Another one you might have heard, and books are starting to fill shelves, is something they call, someone's put a label on it, they call it hypergrace. And I don't really care who hears me or disagrees with me because it is a slander against grace. Hypergrace, and this is quoting one person in particular, this is quoting them verbatim. Now that you're in Christ, now that you're under grace, that adulterous affair you have is a righteous adultery. Because it's an opportunity for God's grace. <laughs> Put your Bible down and go home. That, 
how does that compute with the whole revelation? How, how does anybody find that? That is not scriptural at all. It is not what Jesus taught. And it's not what Paul says grace means. Grace transforms a heart. You see, preaching the gospel, you can preach fire and brimstone if you want to. But fear of retribution doesn't change a person's heart. But love will melt. Grace will melt the hardest hearts. Uh, when it comes to the gospel, C.H. Spurgeon said, the gospel, like the sun, shines uh, on all kinds of territory. Uh, the sun can shine on wax and melt it, but the sun can also shine on clay and harden it. And it's the same thing that happens with the gospel. Some people's hearts become hard and callous against it. And Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. By no means, says Paul, verse 2. How can we who died to sin? Oh, there's a good one. How can we, this is his argument, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How many people are wondering, what does Paul mean by dead to sin? Because if that's the case, I might be in a little bit of trouble here. If, uh, if you read that scripture to mean perfectionism, it'll kill you spiritually. If dead to sin to you means I no longer sin, I am saved, I am whatever the phrase goes, so therefore I no longer sin, perfectionism will kill you. It will kill you spiritually. That's not what Paul means here. When Paul said you were dead to sin, he wasn't saying you'll never ever sin again. Because why would 1 John tell us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins? Why would Paul say in the very next chapter, uh, <clears throat> what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. Oh, what a wretched man I am, says Paul. How many of us could recite that verse and say that fits into my life? When I read chapter 7, I go, Paul, I can now identify with what you're talking about. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's not perfectionism. Uh, direction, not perfection, is what defines a Christian. Following Christ, how many of us know, is a lifelong process. Sanctification is something that never ends. Before I got here today, I probably, I don't know, I, I didn't give God enough attention. I might have thought something I shouldn't. How many people fall into that? Drove Martin Luther crazy. Drove Martin Luther to a deep depression, 1500s reformer, not the uh, other guy that adopted his name, but the 1500s drove him to such a deep depression, his wife used to hide the knives. Because the burden of his sin, but when he found the scripture that we are justified by grace through faith, a weight was lifted off. Okay, so the question is, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? If that's not what it means, Pastor, what does it mean? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. I knew you were just about to ask it, you see. So I'm going to ask my own questions. I'm going to answer them. And then some guys in a van are going to turn up and take me away in a jacket. But that's okay. Verse 3, here's the first thing that we need to know. Verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus, hold that, I'll I'll explain that in a moment, Those who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk, powerful word, walk, we too might walk in a newness of life. Verse 5, 
Here's the important part. For if we have been united, underline that word, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united, underline that word again, with him in a resurrection like his. Now, out of that series of verses, if you read baptism as the most important thing that we need to know, that's actually not what Paul's talking about. He's using baptism as an analogy, yes, but he's using the word in a different kind of manner this time. Let me explain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, says that Israel were all baptised into Moses. Oh, Okay. And everybody's thinking, yeah, Red Sea, yeah, okay, now get all that. But for a moment, the, the Egyptians were the one that were baptised there, right? <laughs> uh, I remember watching a historical document that highlighted the fact that uh, under certain conditions and at a certain time of year, uh, the Red Sea actually has a sandbar in it that's only six inches deep. <laughs> and that therefore Israel crossed over... Uh, and there was no miracle, Stu. It, it, they just crossed over in six inches of water. But I thought, what a miraculous God we have. He drowned the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water. <laughs> but when Paul says they were baptised into Moses, he's using the word, as it should be used, as an immersion and as a covering. He says, now, uh, we missed a bit of chapter five for those who didn't know. But we're going to cover it in the next three chapters. He says, now, when Christ did all of this, if you are united to him... What Christ achieved, you have achieved. We're going to unpack this more as we move along. But the word united actually means planted. The first thing that we need to know, if you're taking notes this morning, is that we have been united with Christ. And that word united means planted or or grafted. Now, back in Tasmania, when I I had my own lawn mowing business, and a guy from the church, John, lovely gentleman, uh, he had uh, a prolific property, and I was mowing his property, had this orchard, and uh, uh, the next door neighbour, a Dutch guy, Corn, a beautiful man, uh, he comes over to the fence, and I soon realised it was a bit of a competition. He says, you know, if you like this guy's orchard, you should come over and see my fruit. That's kind of like, okay, here we go. So one day I did, and he's walking me through the orchard, he said, you see that apple tree over there? I said, yeah. He said, there's four different kinds of apples on that tree. I said, okay, I'm confused. And an amazing man, we don't have horticulturists like corn anymore. Corn ran hot houses where he grafted everything. He just took, he had one plant and that's it. Everything, all his, everything he grew was just from cuttings. But he was able to graft into that tree four different kinds of apples. Completely pink lady, red delicious, uh, all on the one tree. I'm like, this is amazing. That's exactly what that word means to us. When Jesus died, when Jesus was raised to life, when you accept Christ, you are grafted in. Now the death he died, he died in your place. And now the life that he lives to God, he lives in your place. We're going to pack this more as we move along. But the first thing we need to know is you were united with Christ. You've been grafted into Christ. And the last part of chapter 5 speaks about um, as all in Adam died, so now all in Christ live. I don't know if you've read that. And universalists, that's a message for another day, they take that to mean that everybody's going to heaven. Jesus died for all, but that's not what it means. It's speaking about a head representative, a regal representative, which is language 
that points to everything that Jesus has done. He has done in our place. Now following Christ means you walk in his completed work. We are called to live the victory of Christ here on earth. We are called to live in, to bring the heavenly realm to bear on the earthly realm, says Tozer. First thing we need to know is that we have been united with Christ. But what about this death to sin? What's going on there, Pastor? Well, let's keep reading on and see what Paul's got to say. Verse 6, we know, second thing we need to know is that our old self was crucified with Christ. What are you talking about, Paul? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, enslaved is a really important word, by the way. Enslaved to sin for verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. But pastor, every now and again, I make a mistake. Every now and again, the pastor annoys me and I send one of those emails. And if you're thinking of sending one of those emails, pastor lives at the rock. Or pastor Sonia at the rock now. That's right, we're going to grow the team so we can spread the... But what does it mean to be dead to sin? A few years ago, here's something that we might all be able to relate to. A few years ago, uh, there was a dictatory ruler that ruled Iraq. His name was Saddam Hussein. Now, whether he had weapons of mass destruction or not, who cares at the moment? That's not part of the, the, the analogy. But he was, a, he was a tyrannical leader. I mean, he oppressed the minorities... Uh, there is strong evidence of genocide on, on certain people. So he was a tyrannical leader. Now, everybody in Iraq was under his rule. Everybody in Iraq was under his power. Everybody in Iraq was subject to Saddam Hussein and whatever he wanted to do. If Saddam Hussein wanted to walk out in the street and have somebody killed for no reason, he could do it because he was in charge and he was the ruling power over Iraq. We're not going to talk about China, brother, because people are listening. But we all know that some allied forces, mostly America, invaded Iraq. And they worked their way steadily through until they got to the capital, Baghdad, and they deposed everything to do with Saddam Hussein. They, they completely ransacked all of his military. They eventually found him hiding in a hole and we know that he paid the price for his actions and Saddam Hussein was gone. And all of a sudden, Iraq was under a different power and was under a different reign. Now, whatever Saddam Hussein said, it didn't matter. Doesn't matter what Saddam Hussein said. Doesn't matter what he thought. Doesn't matter what he wants. Doesn't matter what any dictates he gave. Why? Because he's not in power anymore. What Paul says is, uh, in Christ, when you come into Christ, your old self was crucified. It lost its power over you. That old self, that, that egocentric self, that prideful self, Self, that self-centered, I want my own way and I want my own life, uh, that died. Now you don't have to live under that power. Now we know there's, whenever you depose a, a kind of a country, there's guerrilla forces that keep on attacking. And maybe that's how we can describe our Christian life, that there's these, these guerrilla forces that, that attack us sometimes. But just like Reynold, not Reynold, 
Reynold, just like Reynold from the 1400s, he wasn't oppressed. His brother, they said this is a cruel and harsh punishment. His brother said any time he wants, he can walk out of that room and have his kingdom back. He's just got to lose the weight. And for us Christians, any time you want to walk out of that room, you can, because Christ broke the power of sin, took its penalty, took the power. Does that mean you'll never, ever, ever, ever sin again? I think we're a little bit more logical than that. That's why I marvel at Jesus. That's why Hebrews says you have a high priest. What do you need a high priest for? You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to write that email and you're going to press send. We all live in that. Paul says you don't have to be governed by sin anymore. It doesn't have to have dominion over you. It doesn't have to have rule over you. You have been set free in Christ. But many of us remain in the castle. Most important one that we're going to move to now that everybody here needs to know. Okay, we were united with Christ, Pastor. I, I kind of get that. And my old self was crucified with Christ. I, I kind of get that. But what now? How many people are asking what now? Great question. I know you're all asking that question. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, says Paul, we believe that we will also live with him. Oh, okay. Verse 9, we know, third thing, that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must, three things we must, You also must consider, we'll unpack that word in a moment, yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the third thing you need to know this morning. Uh, Yes, uh, we were united with Christ. Yes, our old self was crucified and we're dead to sin, but we are alive to Christ. We overcomplicate holiness, by the way. We we overcomplicate it. Uh, I remember when I was uh, born again, I was in the Salvation Army. I was only in high school. And um, I was still, still smoking, well, not still smoking, I was smoking then, and uh, I, I had a pretty foul mouth and all sorts of weird, wonderful things. And I thought that the Christian walk was all about what I got out of my life. It drove me nuts. It's all about stopping smoking, it's all about stopping swearing and all those sorts of things. And the answer to that is yes. But I had a transformational moment when I was reading Galatians. I was reading Galatians chapter 5 one time when I was young and stupid. The stupid part stayed, the young part left. Save you saying it. But I read Galatians chapter 5 where it says, Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I thought, hang on a second, it can't be that simple. And Paul says, no, listen, it's that simple. Stop focusing on what you're getting out of your life. Stop focusing on all of those things, and just focus on keeping your life in step with the Spirit. Now, I'm, it's, it's an ongoing thing for me. I know you guys are getting down to a fine art, but 
Keeping in step with the Spirit. If, if, if we change our focus, then we just naturally no longer gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Our focus has changed. And being alive under God is about focusing about where we are alive. The third thing that we need to know is, yes, we're dead to sin. We've, we've changed realms. We've changed rulers. There's a new regime in our lives. And we're alive under God. Let me unpack what that looks like for you. Men, you need to be really careful about looking sideways. or in, d- d- Men don't move for about the next 10 minutes. Here's, all of us know that when we're married, we go through the process of becoming married. Men, look eyes front. We know that we're married... All married people begin their life as single. And it's a party, right? All the, all the men are going, you know, I remember those days. Yeah. Right? And when you're single, you wake up in the morning, you do what you want. You, 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 life is whatever you want to do. I get up in the morning, I go to work. Uh, on the weekend, I can do whatever I want. I can go fishing whenever I want. I can, I, I can do whatever I want whenever I want. I said to Reuben, don't get married. Until you've done all the fishing you want. No, I'm joking, of course. But <laughs> I'll sit on stand on this one. <laughs> but then they find somebody that, that catches their eye. And, and a relationship begins. I'll be careful, man, by the way. And after some time, some, a ring goes on the finger and there's a, it's not long before they meet each other at the altar. And they say a few I do's, and the man says a few I don'ts. When they wake up the next morning, something enormously powerful has happened. Their old single life died. And all the men are going, yeah, he died. And a new life began. Paul, when he's talking to the Ephesians, is talking about husbands and wives and marriage. And then he goes on and says, I'm talking about Christ and his church. It's the great mystery of Christ and his church. And our relationship with Christ is somewhat like a marriage relationship. There's this attraction and all of that sort of stuff. But the same for us. What Paul says, you need to consider when you wake up the next morning, married people, if you're thinking about getting, when you wake up the next morning, some things change. It's no longer I, it's us. And I have no problems with ladies that want to keep their maiden name. If that's, if that's an agreement you come to, knock yourselves out. But something happened when myself and my lovely wife got married. You see, she used to be Miss Wood, uh, Miss Loft. It's been that long. I've even forgotten what you... And after a few I do's and I don'ts, we woke up the next morning and she was Mrs. Wood. She had a whole new identity. My boss. And when we accepted Christ, what Paul wants us to know is, all of a sudden, you've got a whole new identity. Even notice how, you know, if people are... when When we walk into the room, it's Mr. and Mrs. Wood. Nobody says it's Mr. and Mrs. Wood and one used to be a loft. We're trying to cut off the loft. We're trying to. Actually, I better stop because my mother in law might watch this. <laughs> and my father in law will be asleep, so he won't hear it. But I'll see whether he's asleep now, see? 
It's the same for us in Christ. Paul says it's the same thing. He says, we, we meet Christ at the altar and we make a commitment. He says, the next day, everything's changed for you now. It's no longer you, it's you and Jesus. There's, there's no longer I, there's an us. And everything that he is and everything that he's done, you now live in that. And what Paul wants the Romans to know is, and, and the message I have is there's three things we must know, but here's the most important thing. You've got to stop leaving Jesus at the altar. We're all too happy to date Jesus. The call of the gospel message is this. Stop dating Jesus and say, I do. What does dating Jesus look like? Uh, Jesus, I've got two hours for you on a Sunday and, and we pop in. And we, uh, there's no, uh, try doing that when you're married. Men, don't try it, please. That's, that's not what it's about. Paul says, you guys have got a whole new life now. And you need to consider yourselves married to Christ. You need to, you need to consider yourselves united. That's... It's, it's two become one. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this, but what that means is when God looks at me, he doesn't, he doesn't see that old person. He sees Jesus. You see, when, when I came into a relationship with Jesus, he says, you've got to start wearing my robes. And here's my ring, sign of authority. Prodigal son, bring the ring, the robes, the fatted calf. It's not you, it's you and Christ before God. Now we have a confidence. Three things we must know. First one is this, each one of us have been united to Christ. If you have accepted Christ, if you have made a commitment to Christ, you have been united with Christ and the old self has been crucified. That old single life, that life of doing what you want, when you want, how you want, that's died. Now you have a new life, which is alive under God. You can walk out of that room and be free to have a relationship with God. Friends, that's enormously good news. And if everybody's sitting here this morning going, I think I get it, Pastor, but what does that look like in my life? Turn up next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the position that we hold in Christ. I thank you that the call of the gospel is for us to cease dating you, Lord, and to come into that beautiful, wonderful union with you. I pray that you would put your finger on every heart. Put your finger on my heart. I pray for affections for Christ to increase in this place. I pray for the flame of relationship to burn ever brighter. And I pray for a fuller revelation of grace. Father, keep every one of us, I pray. And may your word continue to bring a harvest in our lives in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website 
at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.